who let the tits out? Who? <laughs> this is your intro. This is your intro this time. I swear to God. Hey Maya, what do you think about uh, wearing bras again? I'm uh, very against it, thank you so much for asking. Bras take power of your soul, you know, this is why they contain that particular area. But most importantly, they really constrain you as a person, as a human being. Like, you can't really think, you can't really speak. <laughs> this is a biased podcast uh, that's made by all means necessary. Welcome everybody, welcome. I'm letting you in on my internal conversations. This is why kids in high school thought I was crazy. And this is why in primary school they made me rhyme, fucking invent rhyme songs to then sing to guys, okay? <laughs> This is actually a true story. The same girl that made me, <laughs> that made me, well, made me is a stretch, okay? That asked me to make her like songs for her to sing to the boys. Then also pretended at like the school excursion that she is a sleepwalker. This girl just had no imagination and somehow was like, no, let me push this imagination somewhere else. I remember we were all freaking out, like, oh my gosh, she's gonna hurt herself, like, she's actually sleepwalking. <laughs> and then the teachers were like, yeah, your eyes are, like, half open, like, bitch, get the fuck into bed. <laughs> like, stop freaking a bunch of girls out. You just wanna be center of attention. So, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm Maya, and uh, this is my podcast. I tell weird shit like this on it, and I uh, might speak about crime a lot. Wow, okay. This month is all about scammers. Last week we covered the Anna Delvey case. This week we are going slightly even weirder than that. So um, yeah, hopefully this one is going to be shorter. Because again, there is not as much on it online. And if you thought the last episode and sort of the motives around it were like morally wrong, well, guess what? This one is going to be definitely morally wrong on some next level. Today we are talking about 9-11. I know, I know, not 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 truly about 9-11, about the person that used 9-11 as an event to uh, make herself known. So as a background on it, I was wondering like how the hell could somebody do this? But like apparently the person I'm talking about today wasn't the first one to make use of this tragedy. I think it's because everybody like wanted even the last bit of memories. You know, if you could sell a good story, if you could tell somebody about your survival story or about their loved ones and their last minutes of their life, obviously everybody is gonna be gripped, which increases your chances into selling this and pushing this forward. There are people like Fred Parsi who was a police cadet who pretended that he was a New York police officer at the time and created the foundation to support 911 first responders. So through this foundation he actually got 75,000 he just spent on himself and his family. No, you know, support for first responders, no nothing, nothing like good came out of it. And he just got six months in prison and had to repay the money. So when you think about that, you can kind of understand, even though it is extremely morally wrong, how some people would see it as an opportunity to profit out of it. But the protagonist of this story had no financial gain from victimizing herself. Tanya Head surfaced a year after 9-11 with the survival story of that day. For five more years, she'll end up retelling that story to the other survivors, until an expose by New York Times in 2007, when it was discovered all of her stories were a lie. We've got our fraudster, we have our crime, what was the motive?
here I'm gonna start with an expose first and then sort of go into what she did, her crimes and then into her background. Well, the bits and pieces that we have from the couple of articles. So around 2007, the article was supposed to be for the 6th anniversary of 9-11, written by David Dunlap in New York Times. So he was just digging and wanted to write the article about the last few hours of the survivors. But also, what was exposed from this survivor group that Tanya belonged to, and not just belonged to, but became like the head of, was that in most of these stories, and the first couple of articles published throughout the years, there have been mentions of this firefighter with like a red bandana around his head. So they were like, let's interview his family, and then the families that he has saved, so like the people that he has saved, you know, to help them grieve, and to see like, hey, your son has spent last two hours of his life saving all these people. It's, you know, like a great article for the sixth anniversary. It was all great until they were, you know, digging into the survivors group and everybody was like, yeah, there's this person that has been telling us how, you know, this person saved her life, like the last moment that he had red bandana, the firefighter, how he brought her outside of the building, even shared like the oxygen mask with her so she would be a great person to interview her name is tanya head but when they reached out to tanya like she just refused to be featured just point blank refused to be featured asked the members of the group to even leave the voicemails to david Dunlap and like other people in new york times to back off so obviously as a journalist you're like okay this kind of smells fishy you're in a survivors group you were vocal in this group to that point that you are now like the head of the group, like you have sort of kicked off like the previous head of the group. So what's the problem now, six years after? So they kind of dig into like her previous stories and what she told these survivors. And they realized it wasn't only her that was a survivor and was affected. She had like a fiance that she kind of married, but wasn't like legal, legal. They got married in Hawaii or whatever. That unfortunately also died just like in the second tower. So we're like, oh my god, this is insane, like how much can this person suffer? And also how great of a story it is for the papers. So they look into this and they look into the person named Dave that worked for this tower. But when they googled his full name and found his Facebook and like his socials, there was no time in his life. There was no picture of like the dog that they apparently shaved named Elvis. Then this journalist is like, okay, cool, okay, still not super alarming, what if he wasn't just putting pictures up, let's just look into Tanya Head directly. So let's look into the company where she was working at this point when she said she survived the 9-11, so let's look at Mary Lynch. They call them, they look at the list of employees, there's no Tanya Head there at that time or ever. Now they look into her history and apparently she said that she studied in Stanford and then Harvard. Again, they reached out to these unis. Uni records don't exist. And while this journalist is digging, her friends start digging as well because they're kind of alarmed why she suddenly has shared her story with so many victims, has taken reins, but now is suddenly, you know, showing some PTSD or anxiety or whatever you want to call it about it. So they start looking into it and like they go to her house and apparently one of her friends at the time, her name is Linda, is going to be prevalent in this story. I actually watched like a mini interview with her on Dr. Phil and she just like hates this woman after all of this they would go into tanya's house and then they would be like oh where is your dog 
it's like this dog that you have mentioned that apparently was so connected to you and your husband where the fuck is the dog and she'd always say like the housekeeper called lupe is walking the dog <laughs> just like oh so sorry so you have like a latin american or spanish fucking housekeeper but you are the boss as this journalist is tightening up the grip they're like nothing makes sense there's no just there's no records of this woman ever before she made herself like known to the survivors group there's no dave or i mean there is a dave but he doesn't seem to be connected to her or know her in any fucking way she's even lying about a fucking dog tanya realizes she needs to make a call to an attorney for advice and then in that meeting she just admits to them that everything has been a lie Tanya Head is actually named Alicia Esteve Head. She was born and raised in Barcelona with five other brothers of hers. She was born into like a really rich family. And apparently from the early age she was obsessed with the US. So even had like a US flag hanging in her room. So from the early age she wanted to move to the US but she also had a tendency to lie. And then what further helped her sell this story eventually was that when she was 18 she got into like the serious car accident so her arm was actually completely severed from her body and it took like several surgeries for doctors to get the arm fully reattached and these cars are what going to be proved themselves valuable later in the new york city story a year after the accident which again might be considered one of the triggers her dad and the oldest brother were convicted of embezzlement and sent to prison this is when the mom and her like completely cut ties with the dad. I did not even translate the next paragraph, I just put it from like Vanguardia and just put it in, Sp- in Spanish. Okay, let's do this. Uh, challenges. Challenges I put in front of myself. Let's translate this. Let's interpret it on the spot. Basically, her dad and her brother got like six years in prison because of this embezzlement that involved an ex-counselor Hordi fuck your name what this is some french last name as well planas de moon and apparently these embezzlement charges came as an embarrassment to her i mean this is p considering what this is always what i find so fucking interesting in these cases it's like what they consider embarrassment and then they go on and what they proceed to do it's that kind of thing when with christopher foster like chris watts or any like family annihilator where they just can't go through with like shit like divorce or declaring bankruptcy or whatever they're like no this is too embarrassing this is too shameful what i'm gonna do is commit murder and they're like what's your logic how did you come through here i guess that i know that you think you're gonna get away with it but let's just be honest for a second what's more embarrassing so her obsession with the us kind of just escalates and then 9-11 happens and at that point she was still in barcelona she was studying at the uni and basically was in classrooms and stuff but then that kind of fascination went into extreme again extreme effort why do these people put so much effort into like this nonsense I always find it bizarre how much effort you need to actually put through to like put this plan in motion like just chill on a fucking couch or put like your effort towards something that is actually productive and constructive and normal but then what story would I be telling you today so 9-11 happens she is now digging into it she's crazy researching everything from the people that have been like saved from the people that were saving them so firefighters the plans of the building is like how many floors did they have what floors were most affected she had to properly research shit like 
who has been photographed. Survivor groups, how many people have actually survived? Can she even sell this story? So like the level of premeditation here is also incredible, but like it's just a level of effort. Just imagining every day, it can't be fucking healthy. You're googling 9-11. And just reading up people's tragic stories and at no point it clicks in your brain like, okay, I shouldn't actually proceed to do this. Nope, at no point. So let's go and discuss her crimes. So like with Anna Delvey's story, I kind of divided this into why did I believe her? Like and then bullet points that kind of make up a story, right? Right. As I just mentioned, she has read up shit ton about this. So she read up about this firefighter and everybody kept mentioning this detail of a red bandana. So she was like, listen, this is it. This is what I milk. And even in the first couple of articles, this firefighter was said that he would run up to like 17 floors to carry the people out. And just this whole point is to show how people are desperate for a good story. I put this bitch lived on Julia Roberts movies too much. <laughs> because the story that she tells about her and Dave is uh, makes me want to warm in my mouth, okay? It's like the notebook doesn't match this shit, okay? Her and Dave like met like on the streets. Dave was just about like to take a cab from her. He was in a hurry. He wasn't a gentleman. He didn't let her actually take that cab. No, 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 no. It's, it's one of those yellow cabs that you hail, yep. No, he doesn't give a fuck, but he gives her his business card, you know, to ring him up. But then she forgets all about it. <laughs> but because this is her love story and it's all in her head, they coincidentally meet in front of a restaurant and then they sit down and just chat for hours. It's like, was there no purpose then for all both of you to go into that restaurant? This is what I, why I hated some of those fucking movies when I say Julia Roberts movies, but like movies from the fucking 90s, but the plot is so weird. It's just like, oh yeah, both of you meet in front of a restaurant, but like, weren't you had, like, did you not have previous arrangements in this place? I just hate romance. I just can't deal with romance, man. So she moves into New York to be with Dave. What I'm laughing is because she would describe that the two of them would finish each other's sentences. And I put it, this is the most annoying description for a relationship. I hate when people are like, oh my god, we finish each other's sentences. How fucking annoying. Like, let me speak. If somebody was just to, like, interrupt me to finish my sentence because they're like, oh my god, we think the same, right? No, bitch, shut the fuck up and let me talk. Modales. Modales, por favor. There is this weird interview, because, like, I couldn't find... There's a movie and a book about this whole shit. But, like, I couldn't find the whole thing. So I found, like, different videos to watch her speak on YouTube, because this is what I get up to these days, okay? For research, okay? For research, it's not for fun. Definitely not for fun. And even just from her body language... It's not even body language, it's her eyes. Her crazy eyes. Um, Dave and I met outside the World Center when he stole my cup. So every year when I go to the site, I bring a New York City cup with me and I put it in the um, reflection pool um, so that he knows that I remember it. They're kids and they died and I didn't. So why? Why Why am I special? Why Why was I spared? Why didn't they make it? Why, was, why did I make it? Was it God? Was it faith? Is it because we have something to do? Was it because we were shielded by the elevator machinery? It just makes you go crazy. You go crazy asking yourself why, why, why? I mean, maybe because like you saw this whole story and this was all built on a lie. Maybe that's why. It's like, I was just like, is it fate? Is it some elevated mystery? No, bitch, it's like pure lies. 
was, I don't know if you heard, but like before she speaks about that cab, she literally takes it out of like a paper bag. It's genuinely like she went to a freaking souvenir shop and just took it like, and they just packed it into like the random ass, you know, like those paper bags that they give you at like convenience store or like those random shops where they give you like bread in a paper bag. You can pick up on the accent straight away. She does not, I don't know if she was telling people that she was Spanish, because nobody mentions it, like, so I don't know if people were just buying whatever the fuck she's saying. It just looks like she's out of place, she's looking everywhere. You know, when you tell a story, you either look like directly at the camera, if it is, like, a narration as well. Your eyes aren't just, like, moving fucking mad, unless you're lying. You know that you've gone too far if you go to buy a freaking yellow toy cab just to sell a story. You, you might be like, why, why am I doing this? Like, why? But this is like when my parents would catch me. Okay, as a child, I need, I need an explanation before telling this story because otherwise I'm gonna think like I'm super fucking weird. Which I am, but hey. When I was a little girl, kind of all the way up until like I was a teenager actually. But when I was really little, I really wanted to be born as a guy. I was like, why was I not a man? Like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not feminine at all. What the fuck? So I was about like four or five and I was like, no, 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 listen, this is how I fix it. <laughs> So my parents would just walk into the toilet and I would just be like peeing standing. I'd be like, yep, this is it. I, as long as if I practice this enough, I don't know. It wasn't ever about like transitioning or anything. There's nothing wrong if you are, by the way. I never thought like, oh, a penis is gonna grow or like I'm gonna change into a guy. I never thought that. I was just like, no, I feel like this is my shit. Like I need to aim. I need to learn how to pee standing. This is gonna become useful in my life. My parents would just walk in and be like, Maya, this fucking needs to stop. Like, you're not a guy. Like, what are you trying to do? Like, why are you being standing? Just sit the fuck down and piss. And yet, still, at no point was I um, thinking like, hey, this is a bad idea and let's actually stop. I have gone too far now. <laughs> Alicia neither. Look at that. She was fucking buying a yellow cab. Like, as if she's fucking five. Okay, where was I in this invented story of hers? Also, apparently, he proposed to her at the restaurant on top of the trade center. Now, how do you think this is romantic? How, how do you think? Like, yeah, it's my workplace. No, no, let's go back to my workplace where I'm going to propose to you. Like, I don't have enough of this place from like 9 to 5. No, 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 let's, let's propose to you there. Bitch, please. So they was to book the wedding at Maui in Hawaii. So they called their friends to say that they're gonna get maui instead of married. I am gonna slap this laptop. When I first, when I wrote this in the script, I was like, I cannot, I, the cringe in me is not even real. Yeah, the next line in this script is never have kids because imagine your child coming in one day with this cringe. Just imagine your kid coming in one day being like, Mommy, Mommy, I'm gonna get married. I mean, unless they're like five. Everything else is unacceptable after that. If somebody's coming to you at the age of 20 being like, I'm gonna get married, slap the fucking child. Okay, too intense. Too intense for this. So she achieved her American dream at 26 because she attended Harvard to do her BA and then she did her MA at Stanford. Bitch, if this is, this is why you get too hooked. 
to sell a story. If you need to sell a credible story, go for shittier universities. I guess this is that thing where you're like, well, I can be whoever I want in my own life. Well, clearly, but then it's gonna run out. And then she became senior vice president for allergic alliances at Merrill Lynch. Again, rolls of the tongue, perfect roll. Definitely look that up on LinkedIn. It must exist. And then on that fatal day, Dave called her, saying he's going to go into a meeting. They said, I, lo- I love yous. And then she sees a plane crash into the North Tower and thinks of him. Now, this is super inappropriate, so of course I'm gonna play it. You need to watch this, though. I mean, especially if you understand Spanish, but even then, I think there are subtitles in the video. It's by this famous Spanish YouTuber, Aaron Play, who, well, it's not by him. He makes some mockery out of this. It's this fucking Asian guy that made the video about 9-11 and how his wife died in the tower, but it's supposedly supposed to be said, but it just looks like he is making the mockery out of this event because of the photoshops and how he edited it out. It's in Spanish, but hey, listen to uh, the couple of seconds of it. Vamos a ver una cosa. Esta canción se supone que intenta ser algo romántica, ¿no? Como, como una dedicatoria a su novia, a su supuesta novia, porque es todo mentira. This is this video always makes me laugh. You're at your most stressed. You are literally about to fucking die. Like the plane has hit husband's tower, and this is how you're poetically fucking describing it. So she tries to get into the elevator. And she says to people, also again, how do you remember this so vividly? Apparently she says to people, this is not Titanic, it's not women and children first. Like, let everybody in, like, okay, woman, chill. There's no need, again, to go into your movie fucking scenes and be like, this is not a Titanic. She's typed to 90s movies that they show in our part of Europe. Literally, this is the kind of movies that people fucking jerk off on in Spain and Serbia and she's just living for this shit now. And she hears another woman saying that the other plane is headed towards their tower. So she hears this and in her haste and like thinking like she might actually come to Dave and save the day or whatever the fuck, she runs 18 flights of stairs to the 78th floor. Okay. Okay, in my movie, listen, I know that they made a movie about her, but this is a huge wasted opportunity. She should have been played by Paquita Salas. She looks exactly like, I mean, the Paquita version of Paco. Looks exactly like, exactly the same. Also, in this whole heist, like, this is when you get too carried away. How long would you have to run 18 flights of stairs to 78th floor? I'm sorry, what is? are these planes just going at your fucking speed? Do you run this show? Are you the pilot of these fucking planes that are crashing into one tower and then like deciding on the speed to crash into your tower? Like, what the fuck? How did you have this time to run like 18 flights of stairs? But I think this was the part that was clearly necessary for people to buy her story because probably she read like the firefighter was picking people up from that floor and below so like for her to be like oh yeah this firefighter saved me she had to be on that floor even though she invented this whole lie that she's working at a different floor in Merrill Lynch then why not choose like an easier position at the floor that you can actually then be like yeah no I actually worked at this floor why do people get so carried away with their fucking lies 
but swindled podcast portrays really well and what i was thinking during this whole time were the following descriptions that were kind of like really fucking graphic so i think this is how she managed to obviously build report in the survivors network and also make the story so credible but also pushing it but on the other hand how would she remember all these details in all that mess so there was like kind of like sensory overload so now she's on the 78th floor apparently in the first tower the plane hit and there's a lot of like smell of burning flesh the secretary of hers has been decapitated she starts like taking clothing of people to like wrap herself up because like her basically her arm is detached as well so she kind of smells like her own burning flesh and then she describes this dying man as well who was asking her to give the ring to his wife and it's just like too much of a sensory overload where you don't even need to like add like all of these details i put also the key here is being too gross <laughs> because nobody wants to question you more like okay i was smelling my own burnt skin yeah nobody's gonna be like oh how did it smell okay tell me a bit like was it more like chestnuts or was it more like you know roasted like what the fuck nobody's gonna go into depth with that when you're just telling like this most gruesome fucking story about smelling your own burning flesh this also uh, brings back a childhood memory <laughs> Because uh, if you know anything about me, you know that I am pretty gross and talk about shit all the time. Like about poop, about digestion, about what you need to eat, to have what kind of shit. Listen, <laughs> it's a thing. People at certain points thought I was going to push it towards a career. That didn't happen, but hey. When I was still in the process of like applying for baccalaureate here in the UK and before I left home, I had to obviously come to the UK for the interview and whatnot and like t that whole application process. So I had to be absent from school for a few days. And because I was a clear nerd, that didn't happen like almost ever. So when I came back and everybody was like, where the fuck were you, Mai? I was like, listen, girl, had like the worst case of diarrhea. It was so gross. It was bedridden. I just went into like proper fucking detail details they were like yeah okay that, that's enough that's enough yeah but we believe you we trust you will never question you about this so it's like yep tap on the shoulder good job good job maya the moral of this story is that is the key to lying being too graphic and too disgusting and then nobody will question you ever again okay we're still in the building somehow this still did not end so she sees the fireman with the red bandana whose name is wells crowder and he will become the crucial in this expose fireman like brings her out to safety Apparently, he even sang her a sting song to calm her down. This woman, this woman, how would you remember? Like, everything is happening. So, like, what? You're telling me a firefighter is bringing you down. Your hand is, like, detached from your body. You're smelling your burning flesh. And you're like, oh, okay, there's a sting song. How great. How, <laughs> how beautiful. So, after this event, you know, the firefighter shared an oxygen mask with her. She was one of the 19 survivors um, and stayed in the hospital for two months. Went home for Thanksgiving. And I mean, this in itself would have already been like a too great of a story, right? It wouldn't need a freaking fiance and a husband. But what's better than your husband also working for one of the towers and tragically dying? Because then you get victimized all over again. I think that is crucial in this whole story that it's not just like oh you were the victim it's not just you were just the victim once and like oh my god look what happened to this woman it's like oh, this is like the most tragic fucking story that happened on that day so after she's released to the hospital well according to tanya again she establishes dave's children foundation the complete fake doesn't exist she's an executive director of it 
By the way, what I discovered, because I kind of work on verifications in one of my customer service jobs. Apparently, company's house is not like a valid proof that you have a company and that you are actually an executive director. Like, you kind of need to have socials for that amount of years, etc. So, like, yeah, people can actually just apply for their company to be on company's house. Apparently, you learn a lot from people who try to scam your company and you learn a lot from Tanya Head. She gave that ring back to the wife of that husband. Again, how the fuck would she track down a random person? I don't know, but Tanya has skills. One of the weirdest things, and I don't know how this fucking is legal to happen. I don't know if it is in all states, but she apparently even manages to marry Dave posthumously. And then, you know, a few more months later, so like kind of like a year after the event, she uh, slides into DMs, you know, she logs on to the chat group and doesn't share much to begin with. This is kind of like testing the grounds, kind of like with Anna Delvis' case, it's kind of like one thing after the other. It never happens like all at once. In 2004, Gary Bogatz, who was the president of the World Trade Center Survivors Network, heard about her story and he contacts her directly and she gets merged into the survivors network and becomes co-president and it has been confirmed like when all of this expose came out that she has never been paid for her position in fact she actually donated money to the organization it's interesting when thinking about the motives as well because is it truly can she only truly be motivated by being like a victim all over again well, the next paragraph kind of goes into that because I don't think that she was just a victim because like she starts controlling this online group overly. It's not like she's just like a spokesperson and she has the most interesting story or whatnot. She starts like messaging the community as if she's their boss. She's like sending group emails to the whole of the group. It, she kind of turns this whole group into who can grieve better and who can show how they're grieving better. People who actually live through this trauma they don't wanna relieve it constantly. Like, I bet, like, if you actually fucking were there, then no, you don't wanna speak about it all the time. You don't wanna go to the place where it happened. You don't wanna relieve it constantly every fucking day. And then, because of this pressure, like, they might feel like they don't belong there as well. Because their stories fade in comparisons to hers. Like, she's been a victim, her fiance's been a victim. So everything she's doing is to try to formalize this group more and her final goal, if you want to call it that, is to make people revisit the ground zero. So like everybody should find closure and this is how you do it. Now there's a corner in this story that is super important and that is participation of her friend Linda from the survivors group. So according to Tanya, her therapist asked her to record herself telling the account of the story over and over and then to like listen to it. But Tanya asks Linda to listen to it with her, which Linda found super fucking traumatic. And then Tanya was just like blaming her for being a bad friend. It's like, oh yeah, I've been here for you so many times and you know, you can't even listen to my fucking traumatic invented story. How dare you? Like, you're such a shit friend. Not just that, but she used this girl, like, she played her psychologically. This is when I'm like, why did you have to push it that way? So remember how, like, Alicia slash Tanya is actually not in good comms with her family? Well, she invents this whole story how her brother died. Okay, I couldn't actually find events, like, was this her actual brother? But, like, I suppose they were in freaking Barcelona and shit. I don't think that her brother was in New York dead. So there's this whole funeral. Listen, listen. <laughs> I swear to God, if you need to, like, come and prepare a fake funeral for a fake family member, 
maybe you should stop like kind of have a recap look at yourself deeply in the mirror and be like am i okay let's just realistic approach is this okay to do have i come too far should i just you know slap myself in the face and just move the fuck on from this plot and you know maybe nobody will even find out just disappear what the fuck so linda sends out an email to everybody in the group saying like hey sad news tanya's brother jay died from battle with cancer last wednesday so she's in California with her family I'm sure she would appreciate all of everybody's like prayers and stuff and obviously everybody just reacts to this which kind of like just plays you know Tanya is there like fucking wanking to it because she lives for this shit and she told Linda when she was back from this like how beautiful it was everybody paid their respects like it was such a touching tribute like, she is happy to have been there but now she's back in the New York and you know she could go like, back to her work and I put like again she's a victim 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 again like how I don't understand how people can live off others pity like how do you not at any point think like this is so fucking sad like I need to invent that other people have died that I have been a victim and then repeat that constantly in order to be like anybody to like get any attention from people I mean if you kind of need to lie and tell people that members of your family have died maybe you're not that great of a storyteller maybe you're just repeating the same fucking story all over again after this expose she actually just went back to Barcelona because it's not like she was stealing from people or anything so I don't think like she actually served any time at all but obviously obviously she was all over the fucking news news caught up with her and in july 2012 she was fired from her position from the insurance company again how do you not google people when you do like fucking criminal checks or any checks insurance i might have as well fucking employed her in the government like she clearly knows how to lie got into insurance company like in barcelona she got fired once they found out uh, about her gig in new york but now before discussing the motives i'll cover pathological lying for a second but where do you morally lean i would really like to know so was she really that morally wrong to insert herself here as she did some good to most of these people well everybody except linda really i mean personally i think no matter that this wasn't for profit the lies to the victims are somehow worse than that especially the lies to like the firefighter family i'd actually find it less morally wrong if she just gained money and skedaddled out of there this was kind of for me like making victims re-victimized again especially that like grief comparison like you can't tell people how to fucking grieve but now let's go to bits and pieces from these articles that I found on pathological lying. So according to experts, Head fits with the fundamental definition of habitual liars. Called Pseudologia Fantastica. Ooh, I love it. What is this about? So pathological liars have a personal or emotional reason for lying. So it's either attention, as I mentioned, it's kind of some form of recognition. So again, here she strive dethroned that head of Survivors Network and become the head of Survivors Network herself. Sympathy as well. It's those rather than like external ones. It's never about the money. And for many of those, the boundary between reality and fantasy is blurred even when they're a child. As you remember here, people witnessed her lie a lot even when she was a kid. And they touch on like delusions as well, which I'm glad they did because I keep calling people fucking delusional when they lie after all this amount of time. But hey, apparently they kind of are. So like when experiencing a delusional disorder, 
patients struggle to tell what is real or imagined. So the sufferers usually are characterized by patterns of attention-seeking behaviors that result from this excessive need for approval. So if you listen to the Patreon episode last week as well, like when I spoke about Jennifer Pan, it is all about this like constant need to approve by the society or like by your own parents that you kind of just go from reality and you're like, well, fuck it, I need to do this to like reach some form of recognition, not to be like a failure in my own eyes or like in my family's eyes. And then there is the pseudologia fantastica where a person tells incessant amount of lies that are just mostly aimed at inflating their own importance. Now let's discuss her motives. Right, right, right. Why well, didn't I put like three words? One motive that I put is FOMO escalating. You know that awkward moment where like your fear of missing out just kind of escalates. Anybody experiencing that during the freaking coronavirus time? Yeah, where you just like are like fuck it, let's go on the streets. <sighs> so the baby Jesus. Okay, and then the other one was belonging. Like whether it was for any of these purposes like attention recognition sympathy i just kind of put them all at once as belonging because she kind of never belonged to her family i mean from the early age they had that rupture where some of them were in prison for embezzlement you know she and her mom kind of disassociated from them even from her young age like she was imagining life in the u.s had the u.s flag identified with americans for some fucking reason yeah she just wanted to belong even if it meant like putting this amount of effort analyzing fucking places and plans of the buildings and all of this shit which what i wonder about in this story is like that a lot of it was facilitated by stuff online that people uh, put in order you know to publish stories about people's last minutes because everybody wanted to know about it so like identifying stuff like that red bandana or like which floors did they find people on all of that stuff that they innocently put out there or just to picture the details and paint them for the public that Alicia just used to her own fucking advantage. So that's a story about Alicia Head, the woman that wasn't there. I'd really love to know like what you think about was she morally wrong to do this? Like obviously there are people that have used these kind of tragic events to profit out of them, whereas she didn't. So was it morally wrong? And what in particular you think like motivated her to continue doing this? Just to put this amount of fucking research into like something that then she had to fake and live through her lies. But yeah, definitely just type her name into YouTube and watch whatever interview comes up because um, you're gonna see the crazy eyes. You're gonna understand. The sources for this podcast have been Swindled Podcast, New York Post, She Wasn't There article, Welcome Collection, Can't Believe It's Not Fiction article on Alicia Esteve Head, La Vanguardia, New York Times, Survivor article, NPR, Woman Who Wasn't There, The True Story of an Incredible Deception, and New York Times article 102 minutes lost words at the Trade Center fighting to live as the towers die. So poetic New York Times. So poetic. All right, all right, all right. Moving on. This week, as I was researching which you know fairy tale I'm gonna destroy for you, I remembered. I was like, hey, there was this one that I was quite obsessed with, which was morbid as fuck, and was probably the earliest interest that I expressed into true crime. Was that? The original story or was there something else to it so 
I'm talking about Hansel and Gretel, of course. The creepiest fucking story. Which is just immediately a cautionary tale in itself. And uh, no wonder, but when actually researching this, it uh, required the least amount of changes. Guess what? Because, to begin with, it was supposed to like represent this reality of the Great Famine from 1315 to 1317. And as you all know, because you were clearly present in 1314, mothers started abandoning their children in some cases, and in some cases they would cannibalize them. In Europe particularly, the situation was dreadful, and the Great Famine was said to have impacted 400,000 square miles of Europe, 13 million people, and it might have killed off up to 25% of the population in certain areas. Man, my parents spent like 25% of their lives and more in the wrong marriage, so uh, I can see that chart, you know, I can see like a quarter of a population being eliminated in the area. Just like they can see a quarter of their lives just being eliminated by one another. <laughs> I'm gonna get in so much shit if their level of English escalates, <laughs> improves. So in the story that you have read, those kids are just abandoned in the middle of the forest on their own. But the kids kind of probably like knew that the parents are going to abandon them. So at first they leave the breadcrumbs and then they leave like the stones behind because obviously breadcrumbs are gonna get eaten, aren't they? So like their parents try to just leave them and abandon them multiple times. Luckily they left those stones this time, but hey, they came up onto this gingerbread house and they're like, whoa, this is totally not a trap. And they start fucking eating it like it's their last day on earth. But because it is a trap, they're entrapped with this old ass witch who is just fucking feeding them as if they're pigs for slaughter. And just as she's to incinerate them, you know, they put her into that freaking oven, <laughs> that incinerator, and they run and escape. And by that point, I think their mom is dead, but like their dad is like, oh my god, forgive us, you know, we were hungry, we couldn't think straight. So the moral of the story is, you know, don't go wandering on your own, listen to your parents. The actual fucking moral of the story, think about it, is don't have children, like, don't abandon your fucking children in the forest, no matter, die all by each other's side. How is the moral of the story? Like, don't go wandering on your own. They're fucking abandoned kids in the forest. Again, if your kid comes up to you and they're like, oh yeah, the moral of the story, mommy, eh? Is that don't fucking abandon me as a child. If your kid reads the story, yeah? And they ask you, oh, mommy, mommy, but like, isn't the moral of the story that you shouldn't abandon me? And you say, no, the moral of the story is that you shouldn't go wandering on your own. I mean, nobody wins, okay? <laughs> now, there are different versions of this story from like... 17th century and onwards. So the one of the earliest ones comes from the Italian fairy tale collector Giambattista Basile. Fucking love Italian. <laughs> he published a number of stories in the 17th century, and in this version that's titled Nenilo and Nenella, a cruel stepmother forces the husband to leave the children in the woods, but the dad is kind of like reluctant, so he leaves them a trail of oats to follow. Again, does nobody in this freaking stories understand that the food is gonna get eaten by the birds. It's famine, okay? Like, they want food as well. But these kids get eaten by a donkey. Again, somebody was super high when writing this. But the creamiest of these early tales is the Romanian story. It's called The Little Boy and the Wicked Stepmother. Here, the kid find a way home by following a trail of ashes, but when they return home, the stepmother is pissed and she kills the little boy, 
forces its, his sister to prepare the corpse for a family meal. So the girl obeys, but because she is fucked up as well, she hides the boy's heart inside of a tree. So they prepare this meal, the dad has no idea what the fuck is going on and unknowingly eats his son. After the meal, she takes the bones of her brother and puts them in the tree where she put the heart. But the next day, a cuckoo bird emerges singing, Cuckoo! My sister has cooked me and my father has eaten me, but I'm now a cuckoo and saved from my stepmother. I swear <laughs> So the stepmother, to shut the bird up, throws a lump of salt at the bird, but it just falls back on her head, killing her instantaneously. How big was this lump of salt? Again, what are these, like, focus of details on certain parts, but then, like, lack of focus on details in the other parts? The fuck? Also, like, all that I was thinking about when listening, listening, <laughs> fucking telling you this story, is Hannibal. And God, that freaking whole series and, like, movies and everything made me cringe so much. Because, like, when he fucking feeds all of these people and he's, like, a great cook, but you know he's feeding them human flesh and you're dying inside and screaming at a fucking screen, like, don't eat it. And, like, they make it so that everybody who is eating it is also commenting on how great it tastes. <sighs> Cannibalism, I have slight problems with it, okay? Also, fun fact, this Hansel and Gretel story was inspired by the woman who lived next to one of the brothers Grimm, so like his neighbor, and eventually ended up marrying him, so like she married Wilhelm Grimm. You see? You see what people have to do to get that pussy? They, they're like, yep, I'll narrate one of your fucking darkest stories. Also, it's totally not like... <laughs> It's totally not one of the red flags if the person you meet is just like, oh, you, you're right, yeah? I meet you, listen. So there's this story. It might be the darkest thing you've ever heard. Let's do this, yeah? First date, yeah? This is why you don't ever share on the first date how deep into true crime you are. If I were single now, I probably wouldn't share that I have this podcast, you know, up until, well, they either discovered it through Google or, like, they're months deep and they were like, hey, hey, surprise, so I'm really into murder, okay? You're safe, though. I'll never forget that uh, my now husband at that time, when it was a few years ago, it was when the first season of How to Get Away with Murder came out, and I was just looking for an episode, and I just I just googled how to get away with murder, and he was like, what the fuck, what are you googling, what is happening? I'm like, as if, like, yeah, you're sitting next to me, I'm googling on my own laptop. <laughs> I proper went like, excuse me, I'm better than this, okay? Like, at least I'll go to the fucking public library, some laptop that can't be associated with me, like, I wouldn't be googling on the laptop associated with my Apple ID next to you, freak. Now, for the second story of this week, I thought of actually stepping away from legends and weird shit. I mean, this is still pretty weird, but it is one of the two things that I actually remember. Well, remember at least a bit of details. And I was really fascinated by, and just uh, the only two things that were significant from my history class. <laughs> so, of course, one is Nazi Germany. As we know, I'm quite, like, obsessed with everything from Anne Frank to Auschwitz to just generally the morbidness and watching every movie and everything about it. The second thing is Trojan horse. Just as everything, as an analogy, as like a fuck you moment, as everything from that war. So this is, by the way, for anybody who is by any chance Greek and listening and expecting like a whole fucking history of the Trojan War, 
It's not going to happen, okay? It's gonna be very oversimplified. All right, let's go, let's dive in. So just picture it, yeah? We, we in Greece, yeah? We are at, at, uh, at a traditional Greek wedding. The plates are gonna be broken, shit's gonna get wild, like the music is gonna be like highly intense, the tits are gonna be shaken, all right? So it's the gods, so like, imagine them, you know, in that godly attire, but like, they're not civilized, okay? Nobody's civilized. While this is happening, the party's in full swing, Eris, who is the goddess of discord, again, such a good goddess of discord, please, yeah, refer to me as the goddess of discord. <laughs> Business card title, let's do it, LinkedIn, goddess of discord. <laughs> she's being turned away at this wedding of the kings, so she is like, she's pissed. She tosses away inside this wedding gift, which is a golden apple that says on it to be gifted to the fairest or the most beautiful one. There are different versions, but basically it's give it to the most beautiful one, yeah? So the goddess is inside, they're like, oh my god, well, there's three of us, which one is the most beautiful one? Ooh, there, everybody's a bit boozed, everybody's drunk as fuck, yeah? This is how a picture. So they're like, oh, let's, let's ask this, this hot, let's ask this hot hunk here, his name is Paris, he's a prince of Troy, you know, it's just like prince, kings, queens, they're like, listen, he can decide also, he's hot, so we want him, right? So Hera, Athena and Aphrodite go to Paris, who must decide? And because guys love to make decisions on the most beautiful one in the weirdest fucking fashion, he's like, okay, cool. So uh, if I choose you, uh, what do I get back for it? So Aphrodite makes the best offer. She promises to make Helen, queen of Sparta, fall in love with him. And Paris is like, I like that woman. Like, yeah, you, you can be the most beautiful one. Um, now help me out, sis. Helen at the time, however, was actually engaged to be married. Did goddesses get engaged? I don't know. This is my story of the fucking Greek history, okay? So he gets invited to her wedding with King Menelaus. Paris manages, because, you know, he's so pretty, he's so handsome. He manages to get Helen to leave Menelaus. He takes Helen home with him to Troy and Melon Meneolus summons the Greek leaders to send an army back to intrude Troy and bring Helen back. I put yes, all of this happened because, because pussy rules the world. You see, you see, these Greek goddesses were like, no, 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 we have the pussy, we can do this. And this is why the Trojan War started and lasted for 10 years. Do I know the specifics of those 10 years? Hell to the fuck no. So just imagine 10 long years, Greeks are camping outside the gates of Troy, but as hard as they try, they can't breach those fucking walls. Then, one of these soldiers, Odysseus, who is known for his cunningness, has an idea. They're gonna build this wooden horse and leave it outside of the gates of the Troy as the offering to the goddess of Athena. So when the Trojans are to discover this horse, you know, the plan is they're gonna wheel it inside the city, celebrate this supposed victory as if kind of like flagging a white flag, you know, that they can then signpost within their premises. It's like, yeah, look at us, like we've beaten the Greeks. So they get on, build this huge hollow horse and um, they leave it in front of the door and they're skedaddle, they run and try, just try to pretend like they're sailing away, like woo hoo hoo, we've done nothing, woo, look at this, it's totally not us, please open the fucking door. But they leave this guy, Sinan, behind to convince the freak Trojans that this is just, you know, a peace offering for Athena. And despite of the warnings of many Trojans, the horse is taken inside through the city gates. I bet the person that okay, this was uh, regretting it afterwards, but yeah. 
that didn't last for long because guess what in the hollowness of this horse there was plenty of Greek soldiers that just waited for the night to fall to get the fuck out left their Greek bodies inside as well and they just ravaged this fucking um, Troy and uh, they won the war guess what because cunningness always wins that's the moral of this story and now the term is used metaphorically to either mean like trick or strategy that causes a target to invite a foe into a securely protected place or deceiving by appearance or hiding malevolent intent in an awkwardly benign exterior fuck this copy paste it's also a term that's used in it so like when there is this like deceptively benign computer code that seems legit but is written to damage and disrupt the computer programming or to steal personal information. Isn't it the most fucking fascinating story you have heard? Like, why don't they teach more about this thing in history class? Because there's hundreds and hundreds of characters, I get it. But this is how, you just simplify it. You simplify, people are gonna love it. I have literally learned so much more from podcasts and YouTube than I have learned in school. It's not even a joke, it's so sad. (laughs) And this is why we're here, so I can distribute it to you. The real question here is, what other stories do you want me to cover? Do you want me to go on with this history stuff? Do you want me to go back to legends? I don't care, I just like learning and I like spreading it and simplifying it this way to you. You know, so mini stories, what do you want for next week? Hit me up, podbam.gmail.com or twitter.bampod or instagram.bampod. Say it only one breath, say it only one breath. Patreon.com forward slash pod. I hate when people promote their socials, that's why I'm just trying to do it in like the quickest possible way. Because I want you to follow me, I want you to interact with me. But can you tell that they open cost and I have had caffeine today? Oh god, I missed good coffee, okay? Also, I realized I don't know how to interact with people any longer. It's so sad, but yeah, I went three times this week to that Costa because they literally just opened it. And they know me, and that's the thing, and it should all be natural and nice. And I just went in and said, hey, how are you doing? This is awkward, like, what do I speak to people about? I don't want to speak about the current situation. I don't want to speak about the deaths of coronavirus. I don't want to speak about the protests that are going on in the world. Is there anything positive I can speak to you about? No. Okay, cool. You got my coffee, get out. How do I socialize after this? How? Which brings me to the outro. Hello, hello, you're going into your next Zoom call. Are you even socializing with people? Are you even asking them at this point how the fuck they are? Probably not. You know, was this coronavirus supposed to make us more human? But then it's making us less human because we technically didn't interact with anybody for like three months. If you're me, you're probably just mumbling for those freaking Zoom calls, yeah? So you're going to your next Zoom call. You're applying the Maya policy. You just like are there nodding, mm-hmm, being like, how are you? Yeah, so nice to see you. Oh my god, weather is so shit. The typical British conversation that you can always get away with. How? How? It's even when we worked in the office, nobody understands that this fucks with your mental health so much because nobody fucking can tell if you're depressed, if you're stressed, if you're anxious. Because technically, if you just, you know, like a broken record, repeat the same fucking topic constantly, like, oh my god, yeah, the weather, ha ha ha, yeah, how was your weekend? Yeah, mine was great, I did this, and then you just invent whatever the fuck. Or like, oh yeah, I'm watching this show. Literally, you could just like sound like a broken fucking record and they're gonna buy it. So in your next Zoom call, stay away from it. Show some personality, show some character. Tell them that you are struggling, that you have fucking went to Costa, you couldn't communicate with these people, that you ordered McDonald's because they opened that fucker as well, 
and that you also can't deal with how these contact-free deliveries. Tell them you're struggling, be fucking vulnerable, be like, how do you deal with this? Let's fucking talk, some real talk here, instead of this fucking bullshit. Instead of this returning to the office, real talk. We can do it online, we can do it on Zoom, we can do it over the fucking thing. Yep, no, let's not mention the weather at all. How the fuck? Yeah, I know you're British, I know that this is gonna be hard on you, but let's not mention the weather one bit. And then if they don't want to talk like that, if they don't want to be vulnerable, but then you know to stay away from that person, even when you see them in public. Fuck some people. I hate superficial relationships, and you should too. You should question why the fuck can somebody only talk about the weather? Why? Do you have anything? Do you have anything to do? Do you have a personality? Like, are you struggling right now, and why are you talking about it? Why are you not sharing about it? I literally sat next to you for like years. So, that was aggressive. <laughs> that was caffeinated and aggressive. Um, and it should be, okay? <laughs> so, I'm gonna leave you now for you to go into the next Zoom call and question your fucking classmates, <laughs> classmates, workmates, and get their fucking peace of mind. So, until next week, I guess. I don't think I'm gonna publish a mini-show this week. I don't know. It, it depends. It's upon request, okay? So, until next week, keep making the world a better place, one motive at a time. Bye, fuckers. Who let the teeth out? It's, it's enough. <laughs>